Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you on this holy day, this Sunday after Christmas. Amen. Uh, We're going to be looking at the story in Acts about the stoning of St. Stephen. So it's page 914 uh, in the Pew Bible. We're going to see how uh, in the conflict that we are in, in this world, uh, how our lives, who are in Christ, our lives will parallel and trace the life of Jesus. And so that's what we'll look at today as we consider uh, Stephen and his death. Uh, Christmas, as Pastor John said, is not a cute thing only. It is cute, right? It is cute. But it's not cute only. And there are reminders of that in the text for us. Um, This is not simply about glitter and um, decorations, but that God is coming down in the person of Jesus to take over the world, right? There's a conflict. In fact, when the angels announce Jesus' birth, uh, in the Old Testament, God is known as the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. And those angels proclaiming the coming of Christ and singing uh, glory to God, uh, there's a whole heavenly host. There's an army that's there. And so we see the arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the end of this conflict that God is stepping down to take control of his world once again. And he has all authority and all power at his disposal to do this. In fact, when Jesus is near to being crucified and when he's in the garden being arrested, that conflict is coming to a head. Do you remember that St. Peter pulls out his sword, right? Knocks off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know? I could call down legions of angels right now. And so there is a conflict that is brought into this world by Jesus. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace to the world, but a sword. That there's going to be a division uh, because of his presence on this earth. And so we get to consider that uh, today as we celebrate Jesus. I hope you weren't hoping for a really light sermon or anything, were you? You're all ready to get back into some real serious dark stuff, right? But that's kind of what we have um, with Stephen. So let's look at this story and we'll see how his story traces Jesus' story and ours will follow. Uh, So in chapter 6, in verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from uh, Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now I wonder, uh, just stopping right there, if we think uh, Stephen begins to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is after Pentecost. He's chosen by the church. He's doing all this wondrous uh, works, which must be done by the Spirit of God. And he begins to try to convince the people of, the, of Jesus, right, of the gospel. He's trying to teach them about their sins, teach them where salvation might be found in Jesus and his name alone. It's the same thing that Jesus was doing, right, when he came into this world. When Jesus, immediately when he began his ministry, he began to teach, to preach 
the good news of the gospel to try to convince. And he was using the scriptures to do that. And so Stephen's doing the same thing. It's the same thing that you and I are called to as well. Now, we who know the light, we who have seen Jesus, we who know and have faith in his resurrection, his death on our behalf, we are called to also go and convince, right? Go and talk about Jesus, bring people in to the fold. But this is a risky endeavor, isn't it? And some of you have paid consequences for, for this because as we're talking about Jesus, we have to explain why people need Jesus. Why do people need Jesus? Because they're condemned sinners. And so if you try to convince somebody that their sins are not only offensive to the world, but offensive to God, and that they are judged under a mighty God, they might not like that message. But that message is necessary if the cross is gonna make any sense. What did Jesus die for? He died for you. Well, no thank you. I don't need that in my life. And so he receives this opposition, and Stephen receives opposition about this, and so uh, there's kind of a pattern that begins. So in verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. This is happening, happened to Jesus too. They could not defeat him in debate. And so in verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. When they could not defeat Stephen in open debate, just using the scriptures, using the word, uh, they immediately sink to treachery. And this happened in Jesus' life too, right? They would, they would get defeated, humiliated publicly, and instead of repenting and saying, well, just maybe he's right, um, instead, they would seek to kill Jesus or conspire against him. Uh, famously, and one of the best examples is uh, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? A glorious time. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead a dead man, dead for four days, is walking around. And they should be convinced, right, by this act, bowled over by his great power and become immediate believers. But instead, they seek to kill Jesus and Lazarus. And so we see this, instead of conversion, uh, people are not converted often, they will lean towards treachery. They don't want to obey the gospel, they don't want to admit their sins, they will seek to destroy those who bring up the subject. So in verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, no, again, this is exactly the pattern that happened to Jesus. Uh, they brought false witnesses to accuse him of all kinds of things that were not true. This is the same thing they do to Stephen. They bring false witnesses. They slander him. They break the eighth commandment. They break their own law in order to get rid of this man. They conspire against him. Let's go on in verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now this, for Jewish people, should have tipped him off. 
Because, first of all, they believed angels were messengers, mighty messengers of God. Second, when Moses spoke with God, his, his face was glowing. Right? So it's in their ethos, their mindset to say, okay, glowing face, that's a, that's a divine messenger. When Jesus uh, came from the mountain, his, uh, when he was transfigured, his face shone like the sun. Right? So this is an indicator of where God's presence is, but they, uh, they miss it. So let's go um, now um, to uh, 7 verse 1. And he said, uh, and the high priest said, um, I'm sorry, they accuse him of all these things. And the high priest said, are these things so? Verse 2, and Stephen said, uh, he begins, instead of trying to get himself off the hook, uh, he begins to try to convince the whole crowd of what his, the truth of what he's saying. So instead of bringing, walking back what he said in the midst of threats, you know, in a, in a, in a council, he doubles down. He says, I'm not going to back down. In fact, I'm going to try to convince all of these people here of the truth of who Jesus is. Um, I wonder if when Stephen was brought before this council, I wonder if the words of Jesus that were spoken in the Gospel of Matthew recorded there uh, were ringing in his ears. When Jesus says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself. Or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit himself will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so instead of defending himself and instead of backing down, he begins to try to encourage them again. He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father in Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And before he lived in Haran, he goes through the entire litany of their history of God interacting with their people and trying to bring them to salvation so that it would, would not be lost. And if we continue in chapter 7, verse 51, a little further down, uh, the conclusion of this long speech we, is recorded for us. He says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. He's just speaking the truth. All of the things he said is true. But they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Um, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, when Jesus was teaching the Beatitudes, remember the Beatitudes, um, Jesus said this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Stephen is one of the only people in all of the Bible who before his death gets to see a vision of Christ on high. Uh, as he advocates for the salvation of this people, he begs them to turn, he begs them to see their sin. He's given this beautiful vision of Jesus at the right hand of God. And this is a place of authority. 
He says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That right hand of God is the place of judgment and authority, right? It's the place of, uh, the, place of the execution of the will of the king. And so Jesus being in that place is kind of sending a message. He's saying to them uh, what Jesus had said as well. You will see the Son of Man descending in the clouds, right? You will see me coming back with power and for judgment. So he reminds them of the words of Jesus. And one of the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament is Psalm 110. I believe it is the most quoted, where there's this image of God's servant at the right hand. And this is how it begins. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Stephen is testifying to the real judge He's testifying to the real source of authority. It's not them. It's God. It's Christ. And so they cry out. They hate this. In verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. You know, They cannot bear the truth. They hate the truth. They hate the light. They hated it when it walked among them, and they hate it when it's being preached to them. And so like toddlers, right? They stuff up their ears. They don't want to hear it. They can't bear it. And they rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do you remember that Jesus said the same thing when he was on the cross? When Jesus was on the cross, he said, into your hands, Father, commend my spirit so we see when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us our lives become more and more patterned after the person of Jesus this is what Jesus said on the cross and then he goes on and falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them is this not the same thing that Jesus said when he was being killed on the cross he said father forgive them They don't know what they're doing. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so this is what the scriptures are showing us. When we also are filled with the Holy Spirit, our lives will become patterned by the life of Jesus. Now when children are baptized here in this place, we give them a candle, right? We say, receive this candle, right? To remind you that Jesus is the light of the world, But then you too are the light. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. And there is darkness. And that means when we're baptized into Christ, when we also bear this light, that we become a target. That the forces of darkness that are aligned against the coming Savior, against the kingdom, against the king, that they also will target us. But our lives will be patterned by Jesus We are not to take up arms, to take up swords like Peter did, but rather like Stephen, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to try to turn hearts. We're trying to tell people their sin and where salvation might be found. And we will find opposition if we are in Christ. But as that opposition happens to us, we are not to curse, we are not to seek vengeance. Instead, like Jesus tells us, you should turn the other cheek, right? You should pray for even your enemies. 
like Stephen saying, Lord, forgive them. Right? Don't hold this sin against them. Uh, I commend my spirit into your hands. Our lives will become patterned like the life of Christ and like this martyr will become cruciform in the shape of our lives. Martin Luther, he said, always preach in such a way that if people listening do not come to hate their sin, they will instead hate you. Now, I don't want you guys to hate me. But I don't want to preach a gospel that's so weak and a law of God that is so weak that it's insignificant in your life. You know, Jesus teaches us that the cause of sin is in our hearts, that we are hopelessly broken, that we're hopeless without his hope, without his mercy. And if that doesn't sting you every once in a while, we're not doing it right. If it doesn't bother people and get into their consciences, why would they turn to Christ? If they don't see the blackness of their sin, why would they rush to the fountain of mercy? And so when we bring up these sins in our lives and we show the world this truth, we should expect that if they do not repent, if they do not turn to Christ for mercy, that they will turn against us. Now, in your life, nobody's going to pick up a rock, more than likely, to drag you out of Carney and stone you to death. That's probably not going to happen, is it? But the kind of suffering that we go through as Christians in this life is like a thousand paper cuts. Right? It's people opposing your words. It's people dismissing what you've said. Uh, it's people avoiding you because of, they know where you stand. Um, it's the tension we feel with those who have abandoned Christ that we love. It's the tension of those who do not believe. It's the tyranny of the crowd. It's the cancel culture. It's the constant drumbeat to conform to the morality of this world and the internet. That's what we're up against, and it's hard. And it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? When Jesus um, speaks to us, when he encourages us, he says, when people revile you for my name, when they speak all kinds of slander against you on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the strength that we have as we walk in this life, as we're opposed, as we're part of the kingdom of God. The spiritual quest in this life is to continue to bear witness to the truth, to continue to try to convince those who don't believe where salvation might be found and their great need for salvation. We don't look to needlessly offend people, but we need to share the truth and stand on the truth at all costs. We need to be faithful witnesses to the light so that we can save those who do not yet believe from the damning consequences of their sins. And we're to do this without anger, without wrath, right? No coercion, without violence, but in love. 
The book of James tells us that the anger of men does not work the righteousness of God. In other words, the tools that we have to bring people into the light is the word of God, and that's it. It's convincing. Here's a great uh, example in our modern day. Um, Recently, in the last decade or so, uh, the Chinese communist government has once again began to persecute uh, Christians. And as the Christian movement in China has grown by leaps and bounds, uh, for a while they were kind of letting it go, but now it's becoming uh, really large and there's been some voices uh, within the Christian community that have began to speak out against uh, the government. And as you might know, they don't really like that. Uh, But a few years ago in 2018, they began to raid churches, prominent churches, and put some of the leaders into prison. And uh, one of the pastors um, in the region, his name is Wang Yi. But he was sentenced to nine years in prison just recently um, by the Chinese government after they raided uh, his church. But he saw this coming. He knew that he was probably going to be imprisoned and maybe even executed. And so before he was thrown into prison, he wrote an open letter to the government and to Christians called My Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. And I'd like to read for you just a few paragraphs from that because I think it's worthy of our attention. Um, He says, I must point out that the persecution against the Lord's church and against all Chinese people who believe in Jesus Christ is the most wicked and the most horrendous evil of Chinese society. This is not only a sin against Christians, It is also a sin against all non-Christians for the government is brutally and ruthlessly threatening them and hindering them from coming to Jesus. There is no greater wickedness in the world than this. If this regime is one day overthrown by God, it will be for no other reason than God's righteous punishment and revenge for this evil. For on earth there has ever only been a thousand year church There has never been a thousand-year government. There is only eternal faith. There is no eternal power. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to actively imprison me. May I pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them as well. Here we see the same pattern played out on a, on a stage. And I think in our world right now, you need heroes. You need heroes in the church. And for this reason, we should pay attention to the martyrs and the, to the saints and to courageous pastors like Wang Yi. Um, You see, he turns to them with truth. He didn't mince his words. (laughs) He didn't mince his words. He tells them the truth. He tells them that they will be judged by God. He tells them that they will be imprisoned by angels. But then he says, when I think about this judgment coming towards them, I'm filled with compassion. And so it is for you and for me. We are to, to bring this light into the darkness. We are to speak the truth. When truth is called for, not to back down. We have been called by God to be witnesses to his mercy, to his grace. 
witnesses against sin and towards righteousness. And we should not shrink away from that calling. We also don't do it with vengeance in our hearts or with anger in our minds. Rather, we do it with compassion and love as Jesus did it in this world, as Stephen did it in this world. That they speak the truth with the hope of bringing more into salvation. This is, uh, this is the way that we should walk as well. We should imitate these people. Uh, suffering in this world is, ter- is the most terrible thing for people who don't have the gospel because they're mortal. And so they spend all their time, all their energy trying to avoid suffering and maximize pleasure. And that's pretty much what most people are doing. For Christians, suffering is not the worst thing. Suffering happens. Uh, the worst thing is losing faith. The worst thing is abandoning our Savior. And so the world does not understand when Christians suffer with a smile on their face, with compassion in their hearts. It's weird. (laughs) Stop it. Just cry out and die. When Christians turn back with mercy, it's confusing and perplexing. And it does what St. Paul says. It heaps up burning coals on people's heads. And I wonder for those people who stoned to death Stephen, did they sleep well that night with visions of a man who was forgiving them and blessing them and telling them the truth, dying in front of them by their hand? Did it get into their hearts and into their consciences that this man was not afraid because he saw the risen Christ and he witnessed to his great power? It's the same thing for us, friends. As we are walking in this world, it's certain that you will find opposition to Christ because we live in a, in a fallen world. We live where there's evil hearts, ours included. There will be opposition. But Jesus Christ has already completed the victory against these things. When Jesus was on the cross, famously, he says, it is finished. What is finished? Your salvation is finished. The war against sin and death is finished. His conquering work is finished. And that's why God raised him up and seated him in the place of authority. All of these things are settled and done and finished and there's victory in the name of Jesus. And when we know that and when we see that, we too are given courage to speak the truth. Uh, We are given hearts that are not afraid They're not afraid to suffer, not afraid to die for the gospel, not afraid, and we won't back down. When we see the cross, then we see the courage of Jesus. We see that the way is open for us and that the finish line is near and that nothing can take us away from the hands of God. And when we see that and we keep our eyes on that finish line, we too become courageous and confident and resolute. And as you run in this life, And as you give witness to the truth, see that. See Jesus seated at the right hand of God and run with courage. And also, see those people who have gone before you, those heroes, those saints, those martyrs, as they'll light the path for you as well. May God cause us to be faithful. In the name of Jesus, amen.